Hello, and welcome to the Motorstar Podcast. I'm Peter Starr. I'm a motorcyclist, filmmaker, and a former stuntman, and this is the window on the world of motorcycling, the series interviewing those with an outstanding contribution to motorcycling, everyone from the racers themselves to those with a unique role and stories to tell from the history of motorcycle culture. Before we get going, I'd like to say a big thanks to Dunlop Motorcycle Tires for coming on board and sponsoring the Motorstar podcast series. They are the reason why we're able to keep the American Legends show and Window on the World series free for all to listen to and to watch on the YouTube channels and the podcast platform they're listening on. Their support is hugely important to us. And if you'd like to do your own part in supporting the show, then please subscribe to the podcast, YouTube channels, and recommend them to your friends. Every little helps. Thank you. And now let's get on with the show. There may not be a motorsport more spectacular, exciting, or dangerous than sidecar racing, particularly on a circuit that is as challenging as the Isle of Man with this lap of 37 and three quarter miles and it's over 200 corners. Very, very No one has won more sidecar Isle of Man TTs than Dave Molyneux. He has 17 victories and at age 58 is still racing. Dave's dropped about uh, six seconds there, six, nearly seven seconds, hasn't he? So he's dropped quite a lot of time, unfortunately, there's for Dave. So. Most sports have a benefactor, and for the Isle of Man TT sidecars, it's Chris Bowman, a transplant from New Jersey who fell in love with the island and sidecar racing enough to create a sponsorship and marketing juggernaut to promote this very unique race. Chris even produced a feature-length movie on the subject called Three Wheeling, from which some of this footage was taken. There is no racetrack like the Isle of Man, and certainly nothing as challenging as threading a three-wheel, 160-mile-an-hour race vehicle between hedgerows, brick walls, and telephone poles. All, of course, with the skills of an acrobat in the sidecar. Nothing between uh, Dave Molyneux and Top Golap Bridge. Holden has managed to take the lead from Dave Molyneux. While sidecars in the beginning were nothing more than a motorcycle with a utilitarian platform and a third wheel, today they are as sophisticated as any purpose-built Formula race vehicle. Looking hard to keep that back wheel down as they go left, right, left, right. Both of my guests today live on the Isle of Man and quite likely eat, sleep and breathe sidecar racing. We're about to find out. Chris Bauman and uh, Dave Molyneux, thanks so much for joining us today on uh, Motorstar, the video podcast. And Chris, I've got to start out with you because sidecar racing is a most unusual thing for an American to be attracted to, number one. Number two is you're in the Isle of Man, which is a center of racing that nobody else can really get a grip on if you're in America unless you've actually been there to experience it. What brings an American to the Isle of Man in the first place. And why did you choose sidecar racing as something to put your energy into? Well, you know, I could, that could take a little time, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you like the, uh, the uh, quick short version here, uh, Peter. But yeah, you know, like I've always been athletic myself. And so I always like sports, by the way, 
you know, for all of our, uh, our American viewers there, I'm from Long Island, New York. You probably can still tell by the accent. <laughs> Even though I've been here 35 years, right? <laughs> I haven't got a Manxi like uh, Dave does here yet, but I'm working on it. But uh, any case, I came here, uh, I, ha I had an insurance uh, business going on back in the uh, late 70s and into the 80s. And to make a long story short, uh, I was expanding and, and, and putting in other offices around the world. I was in Ireland before I came to the Isle of Man, right? But we're coming to the Isle of Man uh, and setting up a business. Of course, I knew about the TT. You know, and I, uh, I, I like motorsports. I never was really involved with motorsports, uh, except uh, just very like some dirt bikes and that when I was a kid. Uh, although I did do a lot of sport uh, through uh, college and university levels. Uh, but in any case, knowing the TTS, oh, that's going to be great. It's going to be like, a, like a, uh, you know, a, nice, a nice hobby. So sure enough, I go to the TT and, uh, yeah, this is fantastic. And then I said, what's that over here? And that's when I saw the, the, the first sidecars. And, uh, yeah. I said that that looks like a little like uh, like a little hovercraft or something like that, you know. So of course I was hooked automatically, uh, you know, on on uh, the uh, motorcycle racing uh, on our island here. And uh, but I had I had that extra like um, affection uh, for the sidecars, and I used to go out every year and watch them in that. And to make a again, I'm I'm condensing this. Right, I go and I found out who all the guys were, all all the top stars like Dave here, <laughs> you know, so I followed the sport in that, right? And uh, I have a big place here, and um, my builder uh, Andy Farragher, who's in the movie, by the way, everybody should take a look at the movie. But uh, uh, Andy uh, was a big supporter across the board uh, in. That, that class here, sidecar, he's a builder, local builder, and uh, uh, he was doing work for me, and we became friends. He says, come on over, I want, I want you to meet uh, Claffy, Klaus Klaffenbach. Now, uh, we became good friends. He has, he has a big hospitality uh, area. Uh, he does uh, uh, for Honda and for um, all kinds of groups, the people that come over for the TT. But he was a top racer himself. He's in a movie, too, you know. And uh, so you got to watch that. But uh, so we became friends. And then what happened is I started sponsoring, you know, to make a long story short, I started sponsoring Claffy. I sponsored uh, the Birchall Brothers through, through uh, Klaus. And then uh, I sponsored Dave here. And then... Uh, I got deeper, deeper into the sport, and I said, I'm going to do a movie. So I went ahead and did a movie. Uh, that's Three Wheeling the Movie, which started the whole thing uh, off. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically, basically how I got to where I am now. But the thing was so successful, the movie itself, and people liked it so much that I said, okay, we started doing a little bit on social media. And that was like five years ago. Now, uh, we're up to like a million and a half followers across uh, four or five platforms. So how do you like that? <laughs> so I'm having a good time, you know, promote, I'm, I'm, I'm in that area. I've always, in my business career has been in marketing anyways, you know. And I, again, I love sport. So uh, 
uh, this is kind of like a natural for me. Yeah, Chris, one of the things that was, um, I'd like to ask you about sidecar racing generally, if you'd have gone to a Grand Prix in Europe and saw a sidecar race, would you have been attracted to it as much as you were seeing them go through a street circuit like the Isle of Man? I would think so. I just, maybe that's me, but from a personal standpoint, I definitely would be, you know. Uh, I think it's, it's just so different. It's, you know, it's, there's no, other, there's no, other, there isn't anything else you can kind of compare it with. Yeah. Well, I, I, w I would agree. I've been following sidecar racing on and off since uh, the, the early 60s when I was a kid and I started racing. And it's always intrigued me and quite honestly scared the bejeebas out of me when I see them do what they do. And I go back to the days of Bill Bodice and not quite Eric, Eric Oliver. He was a bit before <clears> my time. <throat> But um, I've just found it fascinating, even to this day. And right now, as you've just read, we had sidecar racing at Daytona on the, on the banking. And that's never happened before, which was kind of interesting. And that just happened. And I'm kind of anxious to see what the racers have to say about that now that that's over, when I get a chance to talk to them. And if I can turn to you, Dave, for a second. Um, I've got a lot of questions. I mean, 17 wins in the Isle of Man TT. I guess that makes you a specialist. How do you compare the Isle of Man track to those tracks you've raced in the mainland of England and, and over Europe? Yeah, well it's, uh, well, it's completely different, isn't it? We've got 37 miles to compete on. Uh, I think the longest short circuit I ever rode on was about three miles. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, just totally different. It doesn't, doesn't have any comparisons at all. So, yeah. Well, you're a, you, I mean, you're a, nat you're a native of the Isle of Man and you live there. Yeah. That must give you some sort of an advantage uh, of, from people that are coming like from Germany or other places because you've got a, an intimate knowledge of the track. Yeah, it's true. Um, I started in 1985 riding around here and there's not many days go by that I don't drive a car on some part of the circuit. But I think for guys like... Uh, Birchall, Reeves Holding, they've done it for several, well, a lot longer than that, you know, several years. They, Once you've done three or four years at it, I think you've become pretty switched on to it all. There's, I think the advantages I might have start to tighten up. You know, It's not as big an advantage as you might think, not not amongst the, the top front runners anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first time I got to go around the Isle of Man, I was fortunate enough to be sitting as in the passenger seat with Mike Harewood at the, at the steering wheel. Wow. And um, <laughs> I learned a lot about what he knew about the Isle of Man at that time. And then the second time I went around was, I've been around three times, twice on a bike, and then once with, with Harewood in the car. It blows my mind that you could, there's so much to remember and it can change from literally day to day based on the weather. How do you set your mindset for that? Um, you're dead right, it does change, but, uh, oh God, this is going to be quite strange going back this year after such a long layoff. Um, everybody's going to be in the same boat, but year by year, the road changes. The, you know, you get roadworks and things just change, just different road surfaces and everything. So, uh, the first half of practice week is usually taken up by just getting used to it again, just getting used, uh, getting used to the sheer speed of it because there's hardly a there isn't a racetrack that we compete on anyway in the UK that we reach these speeds you know where our bike clocked 162 mile an hour 
down the Highlander in 2019. I mean, that's fair shifting. It's only six mile an hour slower than the top 600 solos are doing. So you can imagine it's, uh, I think on the short circuits, we might reach 140 mile an hour, but between the trees and the hedges, it's uh, it's a rush like. <laughs> well, I've, yeah. I mean, I've watched Chris's film a couple of times now, and there's, uh, there's, there's one crash in there that really brings it all to mind. Uh, in terms of the danger of the Isle of Man TT. Hale would point you to that also, but he sort of skipped over it. I mean, it's like, I know the danger's there, but if I'm going to compete, I've got to put it in a different part of my mind. Do you do the same thing? Oh, of course, yeah, you put that in a box. I mean, uh, I've had a couple of hefty knocks, <laughs> to <laughs> say the least. And, uh, yeah, sometimes, it depends how your state your mind is, it can take a year or two to sort of ride through that but uh if you're focused nah you just get on with it and that's it you know the uh, i came over there last with steve baker uh, who did a lap of honor uh, around yeah. the island and uh, milky quail took us around to, initially to to show steve the ropes so to speak and uh, we stopped at a place one of the hairpins where there was a lot of police activity and uh, talked to some of the policemen and watched some of the guys go through that were out there for a Sunday ride. It was a little more than a Sunday ride. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can only imagine what it must be like uh, on a sidecar to, uh, to go through those very same places. How many, how many laps did you think you did before you really started to understand the island? Uh, you see, there's a difficult one again. I, it would shock you how little amount of laps that I've done around the place in the last 35 years, it's nowhere near as many as you'd think, put it that way. Uh, we only get, I'd say, particularly now in the modern era, because of the lack of, well, we don't have morning practice anymore, but even back in them days, we'd only get maybe 12, 12 14 laps of practice in a blinking good week. You know, that was if everything went well, and then two, three lap races. So, you're not covering the the corners the same. You know, you go to a short circuit, you might do 150 laps over a three-day weekend. Blinking heck, you'd have to do 25 years of riding around the TT to 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 actually get around each corner. So it's just different. It's it's really hard to explain. It's just really different, and you ride at a different a different level. It's a different. Uh, uh, uh a different mindset the whole thing is different you know we we may look like we're really trying extremely hard in at times and in places but i think the bumps and the the noise sort of covers a lot up uh, i most of us are riding at quite a lower percentage than we're capable of doing just with a bit of self-preservation in in order but um that's it, really. Well, are there, are there parts of the island that um, you have more respect for than others? I mean, I can imagine that oh, there's, yeah. uh, you, you, you attempt some parts of the road to say, I've got to be a little more careful here than you would on another part, for instance. Well, I think probably 15 years ago, I was at my most mental, <laughs> where this part of the course has got to be done at 100% sort of thing. And... Uh, yeah, I think I went through a stage personally of setting personal goals more than trying to achieve race wins and stuff like that. Something took over where the speed was more important than the race win. And that worked out to my cost many times. Um, 
on breakdowns and a couple of accidents. But I think as I've got older, the thought of race wins is more appealing than fast laps. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it really. How, how do you, uh, since you're racing against the clock and you're not, you may not even see the guy you're racing against during the entire course of the race. If you get signals like P1 or P2 or P3 as you're going around the course, how do you adjust yourself um, to make sure you get close to the front when you can't see the guy you're racing against? Uh, it, it, is, it is different. I like it. I personally like that type of racing. Um, and it's something you get used to working with signal boards and stuff like that. It's a, it's a really important aspect. But generally, the first lap is just as quick as you dare go <laughs> um get your boards after that second lap is important on uh but uh in this modern era with virtual reeves holden and the like uh, it tends to be a high level all the way through uh boards are really good uh if you've got a decent lead put it that way um i've been in a position in the past where i may have had nearly a minute lead and not had signal boards and I've broke an engine <laughs> while leading crazy. So as time's gone on, I've learned that, yeah, you've got to ride to them boards and um, use them to your advantage. Yeah. Because I think it must be difficult uh, about getting motivated. If you can't see the guy in front of you, and this is not just for you, but for other sidecar racers, if you can't see the guy in front of you that you're racing against, it must be difficult to judge everything, in fact, to get to the front and stay at the front? Yeah. Uh, what is a nightmare is racing against another bike. These things are over five feet in width and take up a lot of road. So, again, riding around here, you get used to the fact that being on your own is, is better than being riding alongside another bike. And I, like I say, we all, we've all got used to the fact that riding around the TT course is you, you just ride to your, your signal boards and uh, it's a bit hard to explain really, but the, you have a fair judge of, if you, if you have that lead or you've got a good lead over the third place guy and you're in second with pretty slim chance of catching the guy in the lead, you, you kind of learn to judge that and um, and control it, yeah. You, in the 17 wins that you've had in the Isle of Man, you've had several passengers and... Uh, yeah. I'm intrigued by the idea of how do you choose a passenger? Ah, right. Um, in the old days, it used to be good because there was lots of them. <laughs> lots and lots of good passengers. But uh, that has become something that's a bit of a problem now. And uh, I've just been fortunate and got a new, new guy on, Daryl Gibson. He's young and fit and very capable. But they are few and far between. And... Um, Generally, you're just looking at the guys that are in the next level, so say just outside the top six bikes, and looking for them guys, and just like looking, just like talent talent scouting for a football, you know, football team or whatever. Yeah, you're just looking out for these guys, and yeah, I think there's a a particular window of time where the passengers are at their best, and uh, probably. 25 to 35 years old so they've got a small window it's a bit like athletics and and they are athletic they have to be at that speed anyway 
fortunately, us old boys driving can last a bit longer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, but you know, when you choose a passenger, have you ever had one where you say, uh, you know, you form a relationship off the bike, say, okay, let's give it a go, and then you find when you get them on, get them on the bike that they just don't do what you need them to do. And how do you resolve that? Do you just get oh, rid of them or do you train them? Of course that happens. But likewise, you get guys that are good on the bike and they're an absolute arsehole off it. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's the way it is. That's life. But sometimes you've got to grin and bear it. And sometimes you just have to sack them off. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a particular talent that you look for um, in a passenger? And uh, I mean, I've seen some good comments made by passengers about you know, the certain speeds they go through and uh, the acrobatics that they have to do to keep that wheel up or down, depending on how the driver wants it. Um, how do you communicate for that? Ah, again, when you get to the, the top level, I, the passengers, you, you can leave them to it. They, they, and, me myself, I like to kind of, uh, I have a certain driving style and I'll just tell them at the beginning, like, uh, this is what I expect or would like to expect and just see how it fares out from there. But generally, they're all pretty good, you know, at that level. That's it. The um, I saw from Chris's film, there was a, a, a rider that was, that was killed. Um, does that play on your mind much when, because it is a very dangerous sport on one of the most dangerous tracks that man has ever developed, the Isle of Man. Um, does that play on your mind very much? No. No. Just get on with it, basically. Well, yeah, because uh, I think that's an age thing too. It's like uh, I've done it such a long time. It probably affected me more when I was a young guy than a does as an older guy I don't, I don't that sounds terrible really but but no in that in that moment in that two weeks you're at the tt for instance uh you're probably a very different person i know i've been accused of being an arrogant bastard and stuff like that and all, all kinds not, of things about that. But, um, <laughs> i'm actually not bad, not bad guy. <laughs> but yeah but, been... yeah you've just you've just got to use people like uh for instance Michael Schumacher, anybody like that, Carl Fogarty, they're all good guys, but on the race day, they're just, they've got a different head on them. And, and that's what happens. You sometimes shut a lot of things out and that makes you look like a pretty different, difficult person, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Can we, mm -hmm. can we get back to the outfits for a second? Uh, when you look oh. at a modern outfit, I mean, it is very much a formula vehicle. I mean, the engineering that goes into them, the style and design, um, have you ever ridden a bike like Eric Oliver would have ridden in the late 50s or Chris Vincent in the 60s or any of those guys? Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I started, well, 42 years ago, 1980. So the, the first bike I had was a very primitive, you know, but nothing like what you're talking about there. No. Um, I suppose... They're, ve they're very bespoke now, you know, they are, um, and they are at a high level of engineering, definitely. Um, but like I say, when I started, mine was on like mini style wheels with four and a half inch wide tyres. Well, now uh, there's a different ball game, isn't it? You know, we've got radial tyres, we've got low profile, we've got taller profile, we've got everything going on there. Um, but the sport is controlled well by certain rules that, that govern the cost. So that's a pretty good thing. Mm. Yeah, it's, you and I have something in common, believe it or not. Um, you've done some stunt work in movies. And 
stunt work. <laughs> well, that's what I read in your bio that you done, you done some stunt work on a movie called uh, Cremate. Um, was oh yeah, that that old. Oh my God, Ian Graham, Matthew Barney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was yeah. I was a stunt man. <laughs> that was that was like that was like the magical mystery tour. That one, goodness me. Yes. <laughs> any 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 of you who have a look at it, Cream Master Four, oh, yeah. made by Matthew Barney. Oh, that was fun. That was real fun. But don't ask me what it was about. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> well, what I was about to ask you actually was we uh, during from 1991 to year 2000, um, I built several sidecar outfits for the movie industry and spent nine years as a, as a stunt writer, both solo and, and sidecars in the industry. What was that like for you? What, what did you ride and what did you contribute to that? Oh, well, I actually rode my own bike, but it was just dressed up in... Uh, different livery basically uh, I had to invite another sidecar team in basically got paid really well <laughs> we had a lot of fun for doing something we enjoyed and uh, we certainly had a laugh at the rest of them god I won't even go into it what was in that movie but it's uh, it was pretty out there pretty yeah out that's there. what I would say yeah <laughs> <laughs> what what year do you remember what year that what year that was Dave that was 1994 yeah, yeah. Well, I was about the same time we were doing the same thing in America with a lot of movies like Lethal Weapon 3 and Batman and Robin and stuff like that. And in fact, I, when we built our first um, sidecar outfit for the, for the movie making, I came over and spent a lot of time with Terry Windle. And Did you? Ah, oh, Terry, yeah. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but uh, Terry took... Oh, no, he isn't, unfortunately, no. <laughs> uh, he took a lot of time out from his day to, um, uh, to spend time with us, to, talking about various aspects of sidecars that we didn't know. Uh, so we could build this particular outfit that we built for, for the movies. And um, mm -hmm. I've often wondered what it would have been like if I'd have actually ridden what the kind of bike that you guys ride today, because what I rode was essentially a, a converted street bike with a six-cylinder Honda Goldwing engine. Uh, but we had it built to carry 1,200 pounds of men and camera gear. Bit different. Uh, your whole outfit plus men probably doesn't weigh 1,200 pounds. No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> More like 300 pounds. <laughs> yeah. When, how easy is it to get out of control with your bike these days when you're, when you're racing them? Is it, are they really that skitterish? On a bumpy track they are, yeah. And uh, we don't run a lot of downforce, so the tyres get pretty cool as well, especially on long runs. I mean, uh, you go up the mountain mile, for instance, which is literally just over a mile long, get to the end of it, go down a couple of gears for a left-hand corner and... It's about the only corner on the track where you feel the front end going away from you because the tyre's just gone cold. Um, it's it's a fine balance. We're looking for a lot of high, high top speed, but um, could do with some downforce sometimes. How would you get that downforce? Are there regulations to cover how much downforce you can have? Well, uh, there are, yeah. We can't run a, a wing as such. We can't run any kind of aerofoil as such. We can build it into the body work, body work, but once it's in there, it's in there. It, there's no adjustment to it or whatever. And uh, I like my bikes for probably a decade, had a lot of downforce, but I was probably running about 10 miles an hour top speed less on my bike. Um, I remember in 2015, myself and Birchall was, like I said, split by about 10 miles an hour of top speed, yet we were only about three hundredths of a second shy of each other on a, our fastest laps. So my bike was seriously fast around corners, but 
seriously slow in a straight line and uh i think uh it leveled out but but it was i've i've learned in that time that top speed is probably a little bit more handy if you know what i mean yeah how much of the island circuit are you at top speed or full throttle you know um... Oh, seven, 70, just over 70% of the lap is full, 100% throttle, yeah. yeah and, and if you can't, um, I mean, part of it, again, getting back to Chris's film, which I thought was fascinating about some of the trials and tribulations that you guys have in practice and so on. <laughs> um, yeah. If you couldn't keep that 70% up at full throttle, uh, is, you, is the guy that's following you, is he going to whiz by you? Can he get by you easy? Oh yeah, yeah. Generally, um, yeah. Generally, it's it's not too bad if you catch another bike, and uh, particularly in a race, uh, it's a, it's a difficult one that because <clears throat> it's a long race. If you get caught early, um, you are still in your own race, whether you've lost ten seconds to the guy following you or whatever. But you might be in a race with a guy who's three places further back on the road, but just on time. So you don't want to be just handing everything over and just letting this guy hold you up in areas and then shooting off down the straight. It's, it is a double-edged sword, really. Um, yeah. It, it just uh, seems to me that it's kind of terrifying when you've got uh, basically two-lane blacktop road with you know, very, very narrow. I mean, you could probably hardly get two cars by there and not two sidecars at 150 miles an hour, you know. Yeah, it gets close. It can get blinking close, but uh, they're all decent riders out there. They've all got a decent level of respect. So, yeah, you just have to trust what's going on around you. One of, one of my friends here asked me a question to ask you about your passengers. Since they do what they do and they're really quite vulnerable in so many ways, is there a special kind of clothing or helmets or something that they're mandated to wear? Do they get better protection? Uh, not, partic not particularly. It's a it's a leather suit. It's pretty limited in um, body armor because that restricts your movement. So the passenger is really athletic, as you've seen, and uh, they wear a back protector now and the highest level of crash helmets and footwear and stuff like that. But it's pretty difficult when it comes to protecting your knees, your elbows, your hips. It's uh, any of that big body armor gets in the way of what they're trying to do, which is be streamlined and part of the bike, really, you know, part of it. If you were to give a message to, uh, to our American audience about coming to the Isle of Man, um, you know, what would you do to sell them to come over there and take a look at what you guys do? I think Chris, Chris said it all. Um, he was taken by it, and uh, I've heard of this a lot, you know, a lot of guys, women, uh, ladies, they... They particularly like this, <laughs> oh, yeah. female. Uh, but it's just unique. And, of course, I'm biased towards it. I've done it all my life. Uh, I've been in it since my dad was... I was two years old when my dad started. So it's it's a, a lot of life. And um, it still excites me, get, gets me going. So uh, whether I'm watching it or riding in it. And it, like Chris said, it's completely unique. And I think... Most people like something that's different yeah. and unique and it makes a lot of noise and looks fast. <laughs> well, we have, well, I was going to say, but, you know, uh, well, one of the things that, 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 that attracts me to the thing 
is all the characters in the sport. Oh, <laughs> like there's a lot said, of characters, yeah. We got it's characters everywhere, characters. right? But but it's more than that. And we, we, we refer to ourselves as the uh, sidecar family. Yeah. Right, Dave? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and and, and yeah, we, we don't have snobs in our sport, right? Like mm -hmm. Dave is one of our very, very top stars of all time, but... We hang around with the guys at number fifty down on the grid, we right? We yeah, don't. Yeah. That's what the, that's what I like about it too. Yeah. You know, apart from the spectacle it's, of it, it's the actual people and it's the family feeling. You guys all help each other out in the yeah. paddocks. Yeah. There's nothing I haven't seen other ones, you know, to the to this extent. And the families, mm. like you were saying with, with your dad, yeah. But yeah. but they're all connected. Almost everybody with families, aren't yeah. they? It is a big. It's. It is. It could be classed as a big family affair. Yeah. Um, well, that could back, that could go back also to to Bill Bodis and later Mick Bodis, I guess, both of whom were quite successful. You know, I was just about to say that. Peter. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. completely the same. Yeah, it's never changed. Never changed. Yeah. I remember when Bill Bodis used to show up at Mallory Park with a uh, an old bus and pull his sidecar yeah. out of the back of the bus, and the family was all there. And and I guess later Mick Bodis the same way. I worked with Mick and uh, George O'Dell at Alton Park in 1977, I think it was. And really? Ah. Uh, that was quite an experience. And of course, then unfortunately, we lost George O'Dell not long after that, actually. But um, I had a, conne uh, a connection in a way with George O'Dell, very much so. And uh, he was, uh, yeah, good guy. Yeah, good guy. Great champion. And the the other guy that I I got to meet during those years uh, or a little later was Steve Webster. Oh yeah, Steve, another great guy. Yeah. They're all good guys, aren't they? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Nice. Do, do those guys still do those guys still hang around the sport? Do they come to the island and support you new guys now? Oh yeah, uh, Steve Webster. He called in on me. Let's see when was that? Oh, the last time the TT run twenty nineteen. Yeah. Um, he just turned up out of the blue. Didn't call and say he was coming in. He just. Dave, I was passing, thought of uh, calling and say hello. So we had a good chin wag and a cup of tea in my canteen and reminisced a bit. Uh, yeah. How much time do you put into your research for the bikes that you ride? I mean, you're, you're your own engineer, you build your own bikes and you build bikes for some of the other racers as well. How much of yeah. your time do you put into sort of the researching the changes and things you need to make? To be honest, it doesn't stop. I, it's like 52 weeks of the year that I don't, I'm in a decent position where if I come up with an idea, it might be crap idea, <laughs> you know, it happens, but I can actually engineer it and do it right in the middle of practice week, uh, TT or in October or in May. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And whenever I'm thinking of something new, whether it's bodywork or chassis, whatever, I just get into it and do it. So it's an ongoing thing, ongoing thing. Yeah. How much longer do you think you can continue as a racer? Good question. <laughs> I've uh, I've just recently uh, a good friend of mine who comes racing with me. He said that back in November, "Hey Dave," he says, "I'm getting a big belly on me. Will you come to the gym with me?" I said, "Gym? I'm not going to bloody gym. I don't do gyms. <laughs> I've never trained a day in my life." And he said, "Come on, do me a favour. Come with us." So. Oh, all right, big boy. So off I went to the gym. and I, I'm doing three days a week at it now. I've lost about five kilos. I'm fitter than I was 20 years ago. So maybe it'll make me carry on racing a bit longer. I don't know. <laughs> well, it seems to me that if you're a Formula One car driver, there's some limits. If you're a, a solo motorcycle rider, there's some limits. I mean, there are exceptions like 
Valentino Rossi and uh, and I think Schumacher went longer than most people in uh, and yeah. Kimi Räikkönen certainly in Formula. But sidecar racing is so much more physical, it seems. Uh, I don't know about that, but I'll just tell you something. Um, I watch like on board lap of Peter Hickman or John McGuinness, Michael Dunlop, on them super bikes at the TT. Well, goodness me, mm. 200 mile an hour. That is just mind blowing. We're, we're fortunate. Our bikes are not anywhere near that fast. And so along with getting accustomed to the speed at the TT, which you do, you get used to it. And there's, there's times you feel like the bike's slow or there's something wrong with it, but you just get used to it. And, uh, I think that helps with older guys. You know, we're, ba we're bound to lose our reactions. They're not going to be the same. They're not. It can't be. Uh, but the fact that you're lugging two bodies along, the bike is a certain weight, and it can only punch the thing through the air that, that hard, that little engine. So uh, I think that goes in favour of us getting a bit of longevity out of, you know, what we do. I'm 58 now, and God, John Holden... He's an old age pensioner, <laughs> so, so. Uh, but we are, we are all lucky in this in this sport. We, especially the drivers, we're able to get a lot more time out of it, a lot more. How what do you do for people that are coming into the sport? Is it a, a collective sort of training program or something? How do you get people to say, "I want to go sidecar racing. I don't want to just watch it. I want to do it." It's. Unfortunately, it is more difficult than it's ever been to actually get into it because the bikes are expensive. Uh, it's not like buying a, a showroom solo, for instance, and just saying, right, I'll try it out in some track days and if I like it, I'll go and do it. You've really, really got to want to do it. And um, uh, us, a lot of us are just giving people as much support as they, yeah, as they need to try and, try and uh, fulfill their ambition or whatever. But uh, just recently, I've introduced um, a new engine category, which is what I'm riding this this year, which is a parallel twin, eight ninety KTM engine, and uh, it's just with the view that the the six hundred super sport bikes are bit they're just not being made anymore. So we depend on them engines for our class, or have done for the last thirty years, and I just felt like before I do pack in, whenever that might be. I ought to try and introduce something as a decent alternative. And I think what I've introduced is a fair alternative. It's, it's a lot of the manufacturers are going towards parallel twins just because they're cheap to build, but they've got a good performance in them as well. So I'm doing my bit by trying to just get that in there so that when the 600s inevitably die out, we've got a natural prog progression of power unit to use. So that's it. You know, it seems that there is no real cheap way to bring new people into the sport with that expense. But with people like KTM, I think, who take a, a race-ready approach to things, maybe that'll change for you guys in the future. Yeah, possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, I've got a question for you. Um, should we get back to you now? And Dave, thanks so much for, for your insight there. Um, looking at America and Moto America as we have it here today, how would you look at bringing sidecar racing to Moto America? Well, that's that. That's a good question. I, to tell you the truth, it's such a big um, project that I have here, to spreading the word across the world. 
and, you know, and, and just in a, a relatively short period of time, five years, you can see what, 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 where it's gone, right? Again, it's the same thing. The main thing is it's so different than anything else. That's the reason why we have such a, a strong following on um, our social media platforms. And I would say that 95% of the people that are on there that follow us now never even saw a side, race, racing sidecar. They never mm. did, like me. Mm. I said, well, I'm like that. So I said, I bet you that I'm a regular guy. I think that will sell across the board. You know, so uh, insofar as like... Um, trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, focus in on one particular uh, area, that, that, that's, that, that's uh, pretty hard. To, the thing is, the brand has to be out there, the three-wheeling brand, right? And I think the rest of it will take care of itself. The problem we have with the sport is that, to be honest with you, of course it's not a massive sport, but it's a lot bigger that it first appears, it even feels when you're within the sport, because it's pockets of support across the world, and by ge by by uh, uh, geography, geographic, we're separated, and by class we're separated too, because I have I have what look at this I got my speedway shirt on here right, we have a big following in Australia in speedway, mm -hmm. we have motocross, we have the, the trial bikes. Uh, we have grass track down in the south of England, right? These guys are connected with two. So the thing is this, right? And I, I'm probably evading your, 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 your question, but it's a really hard one. My, my thing is I'm sort of like a, uh, a guy with, uh, you know, blinkers on. I'm just going straight forward, uh, all out, uh, to get the word out uh, to the world about our great sport, right? Now... The thing is, this this is catchy, this three-wheeling thing, right? That's what I thought when I said I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do the movie and I'm going to promote our sport. I had to come up with something that was catchy. So that was it. Mm. Bear in mind, well, all the other uh, motorsports that we have, um, if you like solo racing, what do you think? You think, you know, of course you think MotoGP, maybe World Superbike. Uh, if you like uh, sock cars, of course, you think of uh, NASCAR, or if you like uh, uh, supercars, you think of Formula One. But what do you think about when uh, when you think about sidecars? You don't. Th you just think so yeah, there isn't anything. Mm -hmm. So now you have a place to go to. Yeah. Three wheeling, right? Three wheeling is a, it's synonymous with the the name sidecar racing now. You know, so three wheeling. Uh, that's our, our website. I'm giving the pitch here now, but that's our website, right? Once you go on there, right, you get, you, you can go to all the different, the various uh, um, classes of the sport uh, and onto the various uh, platforms that we have, social media platforms, right? So three-wheeling. Well, let, let, me, let me express something real quick. When we did Take It to the Limit, the movie that I made back in uh, 1980, we actually had sidecar racing in motocross. We had it in grass track racing, which other was yeah. really exciting. We did uh, road racing with uh, George O'Dell, Mick Bodice, and uh, and also Larry Coleman over here was uh, running a sidecar race in America yeah. at the time. But it seems to me in this modern era with Moto America bringing um, the, the solo racing to America, they've even started racing Harley Davidsons with saddlebags. They call it the bagger yeah. class. 
And it's yeah. bringing people into yeah. the sport. They're going, wow, look at those guys. That's a street bike and it's ugly and it's big and it's heavy and it's loud and they're racing them and it's brought an element of, of audience to, Moto, G, to uh, Moto America that perhaps they wouldn't have got. My thought to Moto America, and I'm putting this thought out to you, is if sidecar racing was to come to America as an e exhibition class, like at a Laguna Seca or something like that, uh, or even Daytona, I think you guys might catch on really, really well because you've got a wonderful sport. It's very exciting. It's got the, the elements of danger that most of us like <laughs> me will stay away from. And I think that attracts um, an audience. And I want to put that thought in front of you. Maybe you guys should yeah. uh, bring your top six guys over here and do a couple well, of demonstrations. That, 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 that's all possible. We, we, have, we have a good pocket of support down in uh, you know, South Florida and uh, some out on the West Coast. Of the guy, but you're right. You know, the, they were racing up on the banks there in uh, Daytona. The guys, you know, That'd be yeah, that. that's pretty spectacular. <laughs> I'd love to ride around there. Well, you see, he really is. We 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 get Dave go. out there. We'll make a big uh, uh, public relations thing about that one, huh? Well, I mean, uh, Day <laughs> Daytona to Daytona 2023. Maybe you should bring over half a dozen guys and put on a yeah, demonstration race. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, we, we, I'd like to, you know, this is a good time of the year to do that, Dave. <laughs> it's him right away. <laughs> you'll get out, you'll get, you'll get into yeah. the, some sunshine oh, anyway. Yeah. If nothing else. You know how it is dark here. You know how it is over here this time of the year. <laughs> yeah. I do indeed. Guys, I've really enjoyed this hour that we spent together. It's almost an hour anyway. And have you got any thoughts right. for me that you'd like to leave me with as an American consumer of sidecar racing? Uh, no, it's just 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 go on our, our, our the easiest ways to go on our uh, web our website. Then you can go to all of our different platforms. Three wheeling uh, dot media. Uh, that's that's it. You know, and then follow us on TT. I love you know, TT uh, website. Yeah. 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 Totally. yeah. yeah follow us on for us, TT. We we are we have a multi year deal now with the TT. We're the official title sponsor of the both races, sidecar races at the TT, and then we're also the official sidecar media partner of the TT, right? So follow us, uh, and uh, yeah, follow Dave. Dave, Dave is, I think Dave is up for another TT one. We have to make it 18. Right? I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, he's got, yeah, yeah. So everybody tune in and, and, and watch us yeah. and see how we do here. Well, Dave Molliner, it's been great to meet you today, and I uh, look forward to meeting you in the Isle of Man sometime. And I just yeah. one other question directly for you. Have you ever thought of doing what Randy Mamola did with um, uh, MotoGP, of having take people around the course on a sidecar that's just an ordinary passenger, maybe raise money for charity and say, you can have a Dave Molliner experience, sit in the sidecar and, and have him you know, and go around with you? I'd love to. Maybe you rig that one up, Peter, or Chris can rig it up, but uh, yeah. I, I just struggle for time. But, yeah, I'd love to do that. Oh, great. yeah. Well, we do. Well, that's one of the things I do, too. I do a lot of charity work over here yeah. and that, too, you know, like. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, I think is that um, I think that a lot like 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 the stars that you say, the solo guys, um, they're all welcome to come over here. We're gonna we'll, we'll show them a good time. I'll show them. What a do good we time. say? Yeah. And if we could do that, what you know, on the sidecar, yeah, I, I think it could be done. Obviously, it, we have to talk to the TT and the de department of um, 
you know, roads, whatever we call them here, transport. Yeah. You know, but it could be done, all right? Certainly could. I'd be up for it. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. <laughs> how would I like to do well, it, I, Dave? I think you could raise a fair amount of money for your yeah. charity oh, yeah. that way. Yeah. 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 Well, you guys are coming up with good ideas all the time. <laughs> yeah. Good. Would you be the... <laughs> Would you be the first victim, Peter? Yeah. yeah. Uh, victim. I don't like that idea. <laughs> oh yeah, we get him on. Uh, well, well, they keep they keep wanting to get me on. You know what? I haven't even been on the sidecar. But everybody you? keeps wanting to say, "Hey, we oh. got to give you a little taxi we'll cab drive." <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Oh, All Dave, right. I just tell you, would I be the first passenger? I'll tell you something. When I was doing the stunt work in the movies, I was always the driver, never the passenger. Uh, sen very sensible man. I've never passengered either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I doubt you'll get me on there first. Or maybe, I mean, I'm getting to the age now where I think I've got a few more things to do that I've never done before. So That's it. I've got to run, right. guys, but listen, sincerely, right. thank you so much for your time. Chris, Okay. thank you. you for making that wonderful film. Yeah. I've seen it a couple of times, and uh, we'll yeah. recommend it, of course, oh, beautiful. On, the, on the podcast. Well, we we Dave, recommend you too, Peter. And, right, you come you, you come to the Isle of Man. You've already did his last attempt. It didn't work out. you got to come out of here. TT, how about TT? I'm putting you on the spot now. <laughs> there you go. Well, it, it depends, of course, because, as you know, I came to England recently, and they put me in quarantine. For yeah. yeah, I know. I'm not sure <laughs> how that's going to work. All right. But, uh, and Dave, one other thing. There was a book written about you. Is that book still available? It is available, I think. It's, I, haven't, I haven't really noticed it for a long time. It was on Amazon. Yeah, uh, well, it's a good book. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm going to give, if I can get a photograph of the front cover, I'll give that a plug as well. Yeah. And, uh, okay. and hopefully it'll bring some interest of uh, three-wheeling and sidecar racing in the TT to, uh, to, to a lot of Americans. Right. Well, thanks so much, guys. Right, guys. We'll talk to Take you again Pete. soon. we got to do this, Pete. Oh, oh that's, our th that's our thing. Take care. This has been the MotoStar Motorcycle Podcast, brought to you by Dunlop Motorcycle Tires the official tires of Moto America. Full details and promo videos for Peter Starr's two coffee table books with DVDs, Taking It to the Limit, and Motorcycle Traveler, the anniversary edition of his multi-award winning movie, Take It to the Limit, and his first motorcycle film, Bad Rock, are available through motostar.com. That is M-O-T-O-S-T-A-R-R.com.